Take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, would you? When we were last here in Philippians 4, three weeks ago, seems like a long time ago to me, and maybe it seems like a long time ago to you, uh, I'm so grateful for the time that we had uh, with our missionaries, and I'm so grateful for Pastor Hayes filling in for me last week. It's, uh, it was nice to know that we could go away and enjoy some vacation away, and and our church family is in good hands and well cared for. And yet, as we were coming back from being away for a week, we, Carol and I both agreed, we sure miss our church family. We sure miss being together in our own church. And so we're glad to be here together this morning. But when we were here in the text of Philippians 4, uh, three weeks ago, we were looking at practical examples of what it looks like for believers in Jesus Christ to stand firm in the Lord. You may not see it this way, but I think you need to see it this way, that in the world that we live in today, we need this more than ever before. We need to learn to stand firm in the Lord, in the truths of God's Word. And we've been seeing here in the text of Philippians 4 a picture that's being painted for us by Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit to give us what we need to hear, even in this day, far removed from when this was first penned, because this is God's Word. And so there's a beautiful picture that's being painted by Paul here of what a stable believer in Jesus Christ looks like, what their lives look like. And and this is my desire, that we would have this desire as we look at the text that, that that would be us, that this would be describing us as we live in this day here and now. Here's what we've been seeing. We stand firm in our faith in the Lord by being devoted to living in harmony in our relationships with our fellow believers, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Being devoted to living in harmony. And I say we need to be devoted because the, the text points us to that. That ought to be our desire to live in harmony with each other. This is not easy. This is challenging, and yet we have God's Word and God's Spirit to help us. We've also been seeing that we stand firm in our faith in the Lord by being known for our gentle spirit in the face of adversity and even in the face of persecution for our faith in Jesus Christ. Being known for our level-headedness because we're not trusting in what we see. We're trusting in what we don't see. We, we don't see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ today, but we have His Word and we have His Spirit, and we're walking by faith, not by sight, and with very good reason to do so. And we stand firm in our faith in the Lord by rejoicing in the Lord always. And I would argue there's always, God's Word argues this, there's always a reason to rejoice in the Lord no matter what you're going through. And you may be shedding tears and and you may be experiencing pain and hardship and grief, yet there is an opportunity for you to fix your eyes on the truths of God's Word and to rejoice in the Lord always. And that's what we've been seeing in the text. We stand firm in our faith in the Lord by being known for that gentle spirit, for rejoicing in the Lord always for being devoted to living in harmony with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet there's more here. We stand firm in our faith in the Lord when, when instead of being anxious, when instead of worrying about all kinds of things which we, we could worry about, we choose, we choose to trust God. 
And this needs to be a choice at times. We need to choose to trust God because we know his word, because of what we know from his word about God. We're, we're coming to know God and to know his truth. I hope that's true of you, that, that more and more you're, you're learning who God is and, and what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do because his word is telling you who he is and what he is doing and what he will do. And this too, we... Instead of being anxious, we're giving this, given this divine exchange, this wonderful privilege. It's called prayer. And so instead of worrying and being anxious, we choose to look to God and we turn to him and we take all those things that we could worry and fret and stew about and be anxious about and we give them to God. We pour out our hearts to God and we walk by faith, again, not by sight, but we know God hears and answers our prayers and and in his perfect timing has answers to all of our prayers and perfect answers to our prayers, even if the answers don't look like our request. Now today, As we return in our study here to Philippians 4, we're going to verse 8. You want to look at it with me? Go to verse 8. And what we're going to see here is Paul bringing his thoughts together on what the believer's life looks like who is standing firm with their faith fixed on the Lord and in his promises. And what we find here is essential. This is essential for practicing these other spiritual disciplines, these things that I just went through that we've seen in the earlier verses here of Philippians 4. This is essential for all the others to come together. What we need to see here is that if we miss verse 8, it's going to be really hard to do these other things, to to walk as a strong believer with the Lord. And so verse 8 is very important. They're all important, but this is critical for our well-being in the Lord, for our standing firm with our faith fixed on the Lord. So looking at verse 8, I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read verse 8, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I don't often start at the end of a verse, but this morning I'm starting at the end. Look at the end of the verse and the word think. Note the word think. What does think mean? Do you ever think about that? <laughs> what does think mean? It means to reckon or to, to count or to compute or to calculate or this. It could mean to dwell on. It's a word that deals with reality. And that's what Paul is dealing with. When Paul tells the Philippian believers to think about these things, he's telling them He's teaching them, he's, and God's Word is teaching us to think about these things, to deal with the facts, to deal with the facts. We're not talking about guesswork here. And the point that God's Word makes here is, is that we need to learn to think right. If I could summarize this whole message, it would be think right. 
think right. We need to learn to think right. We need to be constantly training ourselves to think right. If you're going to stand firm in your faith in the Lord, then you must learn to think right. Just using two words like that in our culture is controversial. As if there is a way to think right, according to the world. But according to God's word, which is our standard for life, for conduct as a church, for believe, as believers, there is a way to think right. And we must saturate ourselves with God's word so that we learn to think right. Think right. You must learn to think right if you're going to be able to stand steadfast and stable and faithful as a believer, firm in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What you think is important. You realize that. What you think is important. If your thinking is wrong, guess what follows? Your actions follow. Your actions will be wrong. Oswald Chambers wrote this, to think is an effort. To, sometimes I get done studying and I am exhausted. And I think, I haven't moved out of this chair for hours and yet I am whipped. Why? Because thinking is effort. He's right. To think is an effort. To think rightly is a great effort. And to think as a Christian ought to think is the greatest effort of a human soul. I think he's right. We have our work cut out for us. You must learn to think right, to learn to stand firm in the Lord, and that will require effort on your part. The world around you is, is full of wrong thinking. Romans chapter 1 and verse 28 gives us just a glimpse of this, that describes the wrong thinking of unbelievers. It does it this way. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. You see, the ungodly do what ought not to be done because their minds are given over to wrong thinking. Psalm 10 and verse 4 says this about the natural sinful thoughts of the unbeliever. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this was you before you came to faith in Christ. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. Talking about God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. That's the unbeliever's natural state. Even with overwhelming evidence all around them. I often like to say, if you don't believe there's a God, just look at your hand. Can you imagine? Where did that come from? Imagine what you're able to do with your hands. There's a God. There is one true God. And yet, unbelievers with their wrong thinking would boast, there is no God. 
And then Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, we're told that believers in Jesus are not to be thinking as unbelievers do. Listen to these verses, 17 and 18, Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You can even put think here or live here. You are no longer to walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So in contrast to the wrong thinking of unbelievers, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you must firmly fix your faith on Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and learn to transform your thinking with the wisdom of God found in the Bible. This is your lifeline. This is your lifeblood as a believer in Jesus Christ. It is why I make such a big deal about reading the Bible for yourself. Romans 12.2 gives an example of how you learn to stand firm in your faith in the Lord when it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, listen, what you think, what you think is critical to your spiritual health. As you think, so you will act. And if your thinking is out of step, then your actions will also be out of step. And that is just what we're hearing from Paul here in verse 8 in Philippians 4. If you would stand firm in the Lord, then you must learn to think right. And that will require discipline and effort. If you will fix your mind on the things of the Lord, that takes discipline and effort. Reading the Bible takes discipline and effort. If you do that, then you will have the Lord's help. The Lord will help you in learning how to think right. In fact, just a side note here, we're talking about the help of the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer. Tonight we're going to start a series of studies on the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Because I think sometimes we totally Forget this or discount what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what the Holy Spirit is about. We're going to start that tonight. But if you learn to think right, you need the Holy Spirit's help. And if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit's presence and help. You also need to give some effort to this yourself. You need to learn to think right and you need to start by saturating your heart and mind with the truths of God's word. And Paul shows you here, now looking at verse 8, Paul shows you here how to learn to think right. Paul is showing you the kinds of things that you're to think about and dwell on and consider carefully, to, to compute, to dwell on, to do so carefully. Paul shows you the things that you should think about that will help you learn to think right. 
He says here that you are to think about, look at it, verse 8, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable. And those things that are excellent and worthy of praise, those are the types of things that you're to think about and dwell on in your mind. So let's consider these. Let's think about these things. You like what I did there? Let's think about these things together. Let's think about these things. First, and this is interesting that this is first, and I think it's first for a very good reason. First, you need to think about and learn to think about whatever is true. You need to learn to think about whatever is true. What's your standard? No answers uh, asked for here. But what's your standard for truth? When you think about this and thinking about what's true, what's your standard for truth? Where do you go for truth? Is it your feelings? Is it your surroundings? Is it the news? Is it your friends? What's your standard for truth? Is the standard that you search for truth for and truth in, is your standard the Bible? The standard for truth is found in God's Word. If you have a Bible in your hand, you're holding the standard for truth. The standard for truth is found in God's Word. God's Word is truth. I hope... And my desire is to help encourage you and challenge you to make your standard for truth God's Word, the Bible. You need to be well-equipped to discern truth from error, to recognize that's not true. Or that's true. The only way this is possible is if you read the Bible. You need to get the Word of God in. I'm confident that if you will to make an effort to get the Word of God in, God will do His part in helping you work the Word of God out in your life. If you are to dwell on or think on those things that are true, you must begin with God's Word. All around you, you are told that truth is what you want it to be. What's your truth, we hear. So common today, to somebody, somebody says, well, I don't know what your truth is, but my truth is... And I just want to stop right there and go, rubbish! Because you're in dangerous territory if you say, my truth is. And this is another uh, challenge to us here because believers can be uh, quick to say this. And we need to be really careful that we don't uh, allow ourselves to say this. When we're studying God's Word, we look at a passage of Scripture and say, this is what God's Word means to me. That's really dangerous. Have you ever stopped to think about that? You've heard that before, and maybe you've said it before. Here's what this passage means to me. It doesn't matter what it means to you. It matters what it means to God. What did God intend to say in this passage? How does that apply to you? That's that's an okay thing to say. How does this passage apply to me? But when you're reading the Bible, be very careful that you're not straining the Scriptures in the direction you want them to apply to you. Because there are people all over our culture doing that in so-called churches. The world says, this is my truth, and you can have your truth, and it's okay if they're totally different. Um, the world we live in is often more concerned with being comfortable 
feeling good. This, this truth, truth of mine makes me feel good. This is what I'm going to pursue. This is my truth. The world around you is filled with distortions. The world around you is filled with distractions. The world around you is filled with half-truths. And then the world is also filled with out, out, just out-and-out out lies. One very big reason for this is that the minds of unbelievers are being ruled by the father of lies. The devil. I mentioned the Holy Spirit a moment ago. The Holy Spirit. I praise God that God's word tells us that the, the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. So you cannot be indwelt by Satan. And I'm not suggesting that unbelievers are indwelt by Satan, but they are influenced by Satan. They are moved along by Satan's way of thinking. He's the father of lies. And just like we discount the work of the Holy Spirit, we need to be careful that we don't discount the work that the devil is doing because God's word is very clear about that also. So it ought not surprise us to see things that go sideways in the world that we live in. As believers, sometimes we, we can get shocked, and it's probably a good thing that we're shocked by what we see going on in our culture. But on the other hand, we ought not be surprised when things go totally against what God's word says, because the father of lies is, is dragging the world that way, dragging unbelievers to do the opposite of what God's word says. So it ought not surprise us to see things that go topsy-turvy sideways and upside down when, when we see earthly rulers making ungodly choices and ungodly decisions. That's why believers in Jesus are told this in Ephesians 6 and verse 11, to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. If the devil weren't real and active, you wouldn't need armor. So if you aren't grounded in the truth of the Bible, then your thinking will be wrong. And wrong behavior follows wrong thinking. And it's possible that you could be at risk of falling for anything. It grieves me when I see, and, and, and God help us, but it grieves me when I see a minister of the gospel fall and walk away from the church and walk away from God's word. How does that happen? Because Satan is active. We take our eyes off the Lord, we take our eyes off the truth, and we quit preaching to ourselves the truth of God's word. We can fall for anything. If you aren't grounded in the truth of the Bible, then your thinking will be wrong. Commentator Warren Wearsby says this, Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. It all begins with your thinking. Wrong thinking is dangerous for you, and it's dangerous for those around you when you think wrong. Wrong thinking can be deadly to you, spiritually and physically. So you need to think right as believers, and to think right, you need to think about those things that are true. And where's the standard for truth? It's God's Word. 
We must begin there. Now look at what's next. Paul says that you are to think about things that are honorable. That's thinking on, that's dwelling on, focusing on things that are sacred as opposed to those things that are profane or wicked. I'm not talking about walking around being pious, like I only think thoughts about God's word. No, thinking on things that are dignified and wholesome and not not overwhelming your mind with smut or the garbage that's at every turn in the world that we live in. This is why, again, we need the Word of God to train our thinking and to give us a basis for truth so that we can look at things that are false and and defiling and say, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm not going to think about those things. This is why we start by thinking on the truth. As believers in Jesus Christ, you need to have a heart and a life that is soaked in the word of truth. You need your Bibles more than you need the news. You need your Bibles more than you need to watch another television show. You need your Bibles more than you need another sports program or video game, or if you're, if you're into this, or, or to get on Facebook again and to scroll for an hour, or your smartphone, or whatever it is you gravitate to doing when you're bored. You need the Bible more than that. And I just speak from experience this week. I've watched more news in the last week than I have in the last six months. And last night I was uh, reading and I was really discouraged. I think, why am I so discouraged? Hello? News flash. I've been watching the news all week. Shame on me. Don't do that. Uh, yeah, we need to know what's going on in the world and we need to pray for what's going on in the world. But you need the word more than that. You need the word more than the news. You need the word more than you need to know what's going on in the world. Why? Because God's word addresses everything that's going on in the world. If you aren't hungry to read the Bible, if you don't miss reading the Bible when you haven't read it for a couple of days, I challenge you to repent of that sin, of rejecting the truth of God's Word, of not being saturated with the truth of God's Word. Repent of that. Repent of not taking the Bible seriously. And ask God in prayer with thanksgiving to train your affections to help train your thinking, to train your desires, your passions, to hunger and thirst for the word of truth. So that when you don't read the word for a day or two, you're hungry, you you realize, I need to get back to the word quickly. Until you're convinced that you need the Bible more than you need other distractions, and until you discipline yourself to make time to read the Bible, then you will not be able to think right. You will not be able to learn to think on those things that are honorable. You will be distracted by the dishonorable. Note also that you are to think on things that are just. That is, things that are worthy of respect and things that are right in God's eyes and right according to God's standard. Does what you think on fix your attention and lead you to live according to the holiness of God? Is what you fix your attention on, lead, does what you pay attention to lead you to want to please God and live a righteous and holy and God-honoring life? That's thinking on those things that are just. 
not being distracted by the things that are questionable or corrupt or unwholesome. And then note that you're to think on things that are pure. I mean, right after that, it says pure. Things that are wholesome. Things not morally impure. We're not to dwell on those things and to give our time to celebrating or being entertained by those things. Commentator William Barclay says the word used here in the original language, he says, is used ceremonially. It describes that which has been so cleansed that it is fit to be brought into the presence of God and used in his service. This world is full of things which are sordid and shabby and soiled and smutty. Many a man gets his mind into such a state that it soils everything of which it thinks. The Christian's mind is set on the things which are pure. His thoughts are so clean that they can stand even the scrutiny of God. How does your thinking stand the scrutiny of God? Are you learning to discipline yourself by the word of God, by the truth? Are you learning to think on the things that are pure? This leads us next to thinking on things that are lovely. The idea behind this word is that these things promote peace. the idea of being a peacemaker pursuing peace rather than conflict things that are lovely you're you're to keep your thinking centered on things that are kind and gracious this is giving the people around you the benefit of the doubt if you're being kind and gracious to someone you're giving them the benefit benefit of the doubt rather than jumping to conclusions and assuming the worst of them What this is talking about, this is guarding your thinking against those things that would cause strife between you and the people around you. And this goes back to what we saw in verse 2, verses 2 and 3, in fact, where we learned that you're to devote yourself to living in harmony with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead of just jumping to the worst conclusion, seeking to think the best of others in difficult situations, giving them the benefit of the doubt. That's thinking on things that are lovely. And then Paul says that you're to think on things that are commendable. And this too, it points to learning to think the best of other people, commendable things. This is not to suggest that you overlook and ignore the misdeeds of others. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what I'm suggesting here. But more often than not, you ought to be deliberately bringing discipline to your thinking Again, being trained by the truth of the Bible so that you focus on those things that are commendable in the people around you instead of only being a nitpicker, picking on the things that they're failing at. We're all failing at something. Some of us more things than others. I'm sure you could all name something, but I'm, you know, and I'm not living it, right? I mean, we can all, we can all do that. Oh, we ought not. We got to be careful about how we think about the people around us. Thinking of those things that are commendable. Just think of what kind of thinking 
that kind of thinking would do. Just think about how this kind of thinking in your life, thinking of those things that are commendable of the people nearest and dearest to you, think of how that kind of thinking would encourage your spouse. If instead of picking on the thing that they're failing at, thinking of the things that are commendable about them, your child, if you learned and trained your mind by the truth of the Bible to think on, to focus on the commendable and not dwell on things that rub you the wrong way, what a transformation this would make in your relationships. And this is what God's word is challenging us to. And then Paul says that these are the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Let me just say this, that if it's excellent, it will encourage you to do better. If it's worthy of praise, it's worth commending to others. You could probably think of things that are true, that aren't fitting to dwell on and focus on. There are many things around us that are true that that are not good for us to dwell on and to think on, to give ourselves to thinking about. You, you could probably think of many things, and, I, and I'm not suggesting this, but you could watch the news and find all kinds of things to think about that are true but not worth thinking about. They aren't lovely. They aren't pure. They're not the kinds of things that encourage you. And here's what I'm getting at. They're not the kinds of things that encourage you to obedience to God to dwelling on the truths of his word, to being transformed in your thinking, in your mind, thinking on the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Are those things that you're dwelling on taking you away from God's word or leading you to the truths of God's word? You cannot ignore what the Bible teaches you here in verse 8 and expect to be found standing firm in your faith. That's why verse 8 is so critical that we connect the pieces in this puzzle or this beautiful painting that Paul has given us You need verse 8. You need verse 8 to challenge you to learn to think right. How do you learn to fill your mind with right thinking? How do you learn to train your mind to think right? You do it by practicing the wonderful truth we find in Colossians 3.16 when it says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I want to back up. To, verse, to the beginning of that verse where it says let. And that sounds passive, doesn't it? Let the word of Christ. I would suggest the challenge here is that we get active, that we're to be putting the word of God and we let the word of Christ dwell on us richly by getting into the word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. There's that theme of thankfulness to God again. In your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's how you train your thinking. That's how you learn to think right. Don't make little of how important right thinking is. And you need to be able to do this yourself. It's wonderful to have godly friends. It's wonderful to have a godly person close to you whom you can call and say, help me, I'm... I'm discouraged, or I'm struggling, or I'm wondering what to do about this, and they give you godly and biblical counsel. That's wonderful. Sometimes your phone won't work. Sometimes it's better for you to to preach to yourself the truth of the Bible and say, no, thinking, this is not right. I'm going to think the truths of the Scriptures. This is what the Bible says. I'm going to correct myself and live and think this way. 
instead of going back down that negative path away from the truth, do not make little of how important right thinking is and about how great a difference reading the Bible and being obedient to it will train your thinking. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ this morning, this is important for you to hear. You need to know that God gives his word to train believers in Jesus Christ in the right kind of thinking in the world that's upside down that we live in. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to know that you cannot change your thinking or the direction of your life without the help of Jesus, without the, helping, the help and instruction of his word. If you're not a believer in Jesus, I challenge you to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, even in this moment, right where you sit, in the quietness of your heart before God. Thank Him for the Savior's sacrifice for sinners. Trust in Him. He will save you. He will give you His Holy Spirit to help you, and He gives you His Word to guide you. But we all need this. Believer, you need to hear this today. You need to learn to think right. We all need this. We all need to learn to think right. This can only be found through faith in Jesus Christ and through reading and believing and obeying the Word of God with the help the Holy Spirit has promised us. We'll talk about the help of the Holy Spirit as we begin that series tonight. But wonderful truths that we have here in our Bibles to point us to the truth, the giver of truth. May we learn to think right. May we learn to be trained in the way that we live and think about the way that we live and the decisions that we make and the conversations we have and the relationship that we strike up with people that it would all be trained with the right thinking of the Word of God and that we would honor and glorify God with the way that we think and the way that we make decisions and the way that we live.